Cool. So, how's everyone doing today? You know, they say you never want the speaking slot before lunch because everyone's racing off to get lunch. And you never want the spot after lunch because everyone's going to fall asleep. So, don't worry if you all fall asleep. That's okay. I'll keep talking. Okay. So, soil health. Uh, who here has a garden, has a farm, grows produce? Perfect. You all are in the right location. All right, so I have a couple of questions to start off with. Um, uh, before I ask those questions, though, um, audio or Ad Agra has asked that if you have questions, please hold them till the end uh, so the recording for Audioverse goes smoother um, and so I don't get off topic. And uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, my name is Seth Schaefer. Uh, I'm a farmer from Tennessee, and uh, this is the um, soil health uh, lecture uh, part one. Uh, after this lecture, uh, there'll be a part two uh, later on this afternoon. Uh, so be sure to stick around for that one as well. All right. So starting off with two questions for you. Uh, I don't want you to answer these questions. I want you to think about them uh, and uh, think about them while we go throughout the presentation. So question number one is, do you know or did you know that weeds are indicators of soil health? And the second question is, did anyone ever tell you uh, that to be a good farmer, you need to take care of the soil? You need to cover it mimic nature as much as possible, uh, and holistic cycles of growth. So be thinking about those two questions uh, as we go along today. So holism ecology. Uh, this is the study of relationships uh, between people, animals, the planet that we live on, as well as the environment. Each one of us, if we're a gardener, if we're a farmer, uh, we're all actually livestock farmers. Uh, the, underneath this picture here on the, on the slide, uh, you can see a bunch of microscopic soil organisms. Uh, and these are a very small fraction of the little fellows that are in the soil that are working to make sure that our plants get the nutrients that they need and they make sure that uh, the soil is aerated as part of their job. So, as with most things in nature, uh, things revolve in a circle. And the Native Americans uh, understood that uh, a whole lot better than the Europeans did. So this is a, a Native American proverb from the Sioux. It says, uh, with all things and in all things, we are relatives. Job 12, 7, uh, but ask the beasts and they will teach you the birds of the heaven, and they will tell you, or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you, and the fish of the sea will declare to you. So the more we follow what nature is doing, the more we observe, the more we're going to learn. So this slide here, uh, this is showing a prairie grassland. Now, as you can tell, there is a very diverse species of grasses and forbs and whatnot uh, growing on the surface here. You've got roots that are fairly short. They stay near the 
surface and you have other roots that go down feet upon feet down into the soil. So that diversity that you see out in nature, whether it's in a, excuse me, if it's out in a field, whether it's in the forest, that is the diversity that we need to try to mimic uh, on our farms, on our fields and whatnot. At the end of the presentation, I'll have a slide or two uh, showing references and resources uh, that I used to pull this uh, presentation together. One of those uh, resources uh, is Ray Archuleta. Uh, he's probably the foremost soil scientist uh, in the country. Uh, and he's given a number of talks, uh, written numbers of articles and whatnot. And the main thing I want you to take away from this slide here is personal knowing versus information knowing. And I'm going to come back to that statement uh, here in a few minutes. But where, think about this, where in nature do you find fields like what's up on the slide? Fields that have been tilled and are quote-unquote ready for planting. You don't. Uh, you may find uh, the desert, you may find Antarctica, uh, the Arctic Circle, uh, but even in those places, uh, there is life. It just comes, it becomes exposed uh, the way that we can see it uh, at the right time. So timing uh, is also a very critical uh, factor in your care for the soil. All right. So the definition of soil health is the ability of the soil to function. Uh, if your soil is hard, solid clay uh, that's been baked in the sun, uh, guess what? It's not functioning. Uh, your plants can't penetrate through that hard soil or hard clay at that point. And your microbial activity uh, is basically non-existent in that upper layer. It's moved down uh, a few inches, a few feet uh, to a more inhabitable climate. So, if you remember nothing at all from the rest of this lecture, uh, remember this. Biomimicry. You want to mimic nature on your farm. For soil health and for the health of your produce, uh, you want to always do a soil test at least once a year. And don't just do a soil test and think, okay, so I've done my soil test, I'm good, I can do whatever now. No, you need to follow your soil test. Soil tests these days... Uh, you can submit them and you can tell them, you know, what crops you're going to be growing. Um, and based on what you have in your soil, they will come back telling you, okay, you need to add this amendment, don't add this amendment, add this much, add less, more, whatever. Uh, so they're very detailed in the recommendations for your specific plot of ground that you are testing. Uh, keep the soil covered as much as possible. Uh, and this can be any number of things. You know, you look outside, and we've got mostly sandy soil here, but you will see grasses, different forbs and herbs and legumes and whatnot growing um, across most of the landscape around here. Uh, and that is exactly what you want. Um, so keep living roots in the soil, um, cover it with plastic, mulch, uh, you name it, uh, but you need to protect your soil uh, as much as possible. Okay, so a little bit of history here. The Dust Bowl happened from 1930 to 1936. 
Uh, and the reason for this is you have farmers that are out there and they're working the land uh, as best as they can uh, and they are leaving it exposed. Uh, they, are they tore up the prairie years ago uh, to plant different crops and whatnot and they're never putting anything back into it. So you have acres and acres of just bare soil and if you've been around sand or bare soil on a dry windy day you know that you'll have dust clouds that get kicked up by the wind and get blown around. And usually these dust clouds don't go far maybe a few feet a few hundred feet whatever uh, and then they settle back down uh, but because there was so much open bare land uh, this humongous dust cloud got started and so farmers uh, lost their livelihoods uh, and their farms because their soil was literally flying away. So uh, I believe it was Franklin Delano Roosevelt founded the NRCS, the Nat Natural Resource Conservation Service, uh, which is the soil conservation uh, branch of the USDA. Uh, that was founded in 1933. So right in the middle of the Dust Bowl, the government realized we needed to do something uh, or we're not going to be able to feed our people. Now, unfortunately, even with the massive amount of research and data that we have, Another miniature dust bowl happened uh, in 2014 and another one in 2016 uh, down in Texas, again because of bare uh, open soil. All right, so there are five uh, principles of soil health. I know on the screen it says four, uh, but I've, I've broken it down a little bit more than what's on the screen. So you have soil coverage, you have diversity above and below ground, livestock integration, the minimizing of soil disturbance, and the continual living roots and plants in your soil. So I'm going to break this up a little bit. Okay. All right, so I'm going to break this down uh, a little bit uh, for each one of these points. So soil coverage any type of mulch, whether that's a natural organic mulch, uh, whether that's uh, cover crops, uh, whether you're growing crops, um, plastic, ground cloth, uh, landscape fabric, uh, anything uh, that's covering the surface of the soil. Uh, that is going to do a number of different things for you. Number one, most importantly, it's going to prevent uh, erosion from happening. Uh, it's going to uh, protect the soil from wind, from rain erosion, uh, because you have a buffer layer that's laid out there on top of the soil surface. And incidentally enough, whether it's freezing cold outside or it's blisteringly hot, if you have a layer of protection on top of your soil, uh, it'll actually keep the soil itself warmer or cooler depending on, thank you depending on uh, the time of, of year that it is. So if you have a, a baking sun having some type of protection there, the protection will be what's absorbing the heat and underneath it the soil will still be able to be active, uh, the microbial activity. Uh, and if it's freezing cold, uh, the buffer layer will be accepting most of that coldness and underneath it uh, life will still be able to happen. 
Uh, diversity above and below ground. Well, we already saw that slide uh, a few back. Uh, you have a number of different species that are growing on top of the ground. Now, I told you each one of us are livestock farmers because of the soil organisms living in the soil and working for us. Now, if all you do as far as meals is concerned is eat tofu, it's filling. It's probably going to keep you strong and healthy, but you're going to be lacking some things. And the same thing is true uh, for your soil organisms. Now, I'm not saying go feed them tofu. Uh, what I'm meaning is if you just put out one type of vegetation, you know, if you do a monocrop of corn, if you do a, a mono cover crop of, let's say, rye or wheat or whatnot, in and of itself, that's not bad. You know, you're helping to protect the soil, um, and that's good and important. But diversity is what you're going for uh, if we're going to be mimicking nature. Oops. Okay, livestock integration. Now, I understand if you have a backyard garden and uh, you don't have the space for a bunch of livestock, horses, cattle, etc., that's fine. Um, if, if you do have uh, the opportunity to incorporate livestock, uh, that's an added benefit uh, for your ground, for your, for your crops that are going to be coming later. And the reason for that is, uh, if you look, uh, look back at history at the plains, uh, you had herds of buffalo uh, moving across uh, the western plains. And these buffaloes, obviously, they were not, um, they were not pinned. Uh, they can move freely about. And so they would eat whatever grasses and forbs were most nutritious, and then they would move on. While they're in an area, they're doing what all different types of critters do. They're fertilizing the soil for us. While they're walking through, they're trampling little bits of grasses, um, their urine, their manure is getting trampled into the soil in little bits and pieces, and that is helping to feed the soil organisms. It's giving them uh, more life, more biology is being pushed down into the soil. And so that's, that's another aspect uh, that can be really good. Minimizing soil disturbance. So... As far as agriculture is concerned, we have a very large toolbox at our disposal to help us farm and help us garden. However, if we misuse one of the tools, then everything starts to go out of whack. Now, they say to minimize soil disturbance uh, because there's a number of different things that tillage does. Uh, if you, all you do is you till and till, the organic matter in the soil uh, continues to be broken down, not just by the act of tillage, uh, but also the microbial activity in the soil, because you have disturbed their soil food webs, uh, they are now looking for something else to eat. And so all the little bits of carbon, of, of little bits of roots that get tilled into the soil, um, that now becomes food uh, for the soil organisms instead of uh, just being, or also being food uh, for uh, your plant life. Um, so I'm not saying to not do 
uh, tillage or just go no till and throw away the tiller. Uh, but I am saying to use it judiciously. Uh, so usually for me on my farm, uh, I will in the spring, I will terminate the cover crop and then I will go ahead and uh, till, prepare the soil. And for the most part, that will probably be the only time that I'm gonna be tilling or disking. Uh, there may be times when the weeds get away from me and I have to uh, break it out in an emergency. But generally speaking, uh, I try to, try to limit it to once, maybe twice a year. Not to mention, it's just another thing I have to do. All right, and the last principle is continual living roots and plants. Now, right now, it's, it's wintertime, and unless you're a four-season gardener or farmer, more than likely, uh, your season probably ended close to around the first, first frost of the, uh, the fall season, uh, and that's it. Now, when frost happens, if we have any heat-loving plants, uh, they automatically die. And your soil is hopefully left covered uh, by the plant residues uh, from these different plants and whatnot. Um, but there's no living roots in the soil. Now, unless you're extremely far north, uh, you can put down a cover crop in the fall. Usually for the south, that's about September, maybe October if you really want to push it. And that cover crop, um, depending on your location, uh, some of those crops are cold hardy. Winter rye, or sorry, rye, winter wheat, uh, Austrian field peas, tillage radish, etc. Um, those are all good uh, cover crops that will survive uh, a lot of cold temperatures. Most uh, will even survive all the way through winter and will not winter kill. So you've got your living cover on top of the soil and you have your living roots in the soil. Your plants are grabbing the photosynthesis from the sun, even in the winter, and they're drawing it down into their roots and sequestering it in the soil. Uh, and we're going to see uh, a video of what that looks like uh, a little bit later on in the presentation. So you'll definitely want to stick around for part two. I saved all the good stuff for the second half. Um, yeah, so as you can tell from the slide here, I'm going to have to keep moving uh, because I have a lot to cover and not a lot of time to do it in. Um, but all these, pre all these slides will be up on Audioverse uh, once the recording goes up there. So if you want to look at the slides more carefully, uh, you can do so at that time. All right, so with these five principles of soil health, it's important to remember them and then implement them uh, in, your, in your growing uh, strategies. And one thing uh, about cover crops um, is cover crops can be used uh, both before you plant, after you plant your cash crops, and in between uh, why your cash crops are currently growing in the soil. And I'll talk more about that as we get a little later on. All right, so you want to think about the soil like a bank account. Now, hopefully everybody here has good money management. So with a bank, you're supposed to put money in, and you're supposed to be able to pull money out. Uh, but you obviously want more money in savings than you do coming out. Your soil is the same way. And I'll give you an example of this. So when we first started farming, uh, we didn't really know a lot of what we were doing. And so 
uh, we knew, okay, you need to go out there, till the soil, plant your crop, weed it, fertilize it, harvest it. And when winter comes, uh, we just let everything go to weeds. And then the next spring, we start the process over again. So we did this for a few years. And uh, everything was going good until it wasn't. And uh, then one year, you know, we're, we're trying to grow stuff, and it's just not really growing very well. Uh, and that is because all soils, no matter how depleted they are or how rich they are, they all have a, a stock of nutrients in the soil. Um, and if that stock of nutrients gets depleted and nothing is put back, you're left with nothing in your bank account. So you have to always be replenishing it. So... To break down the slide here, you know, you've got your, your living organisms uh, in the soil. They consist about 5% of what's in the soil. Your fresh residues, whether that's crop residues, whether that's um, cover crops, whether that's mulches that you put down there, you know, that's 10% of what's on top of the soil. Now, your decomposing organic matter, uh, that contributes about 33 to 50%. You know, that would be considered like your savings account. You know, that's what is being broken down by your soil organisms. And then your stabilized organic matter. Uh, this is the stuff that is currently being used uh, by everything under the soil. Uh, contributes another 33 to 50% uh, of your soil. So that's a breakdown of soil organic matter. Um, and this is one of the important parts of soil. Uh, for a number of different reasons. Now, soil organic matter contributes to soil structure. Now, uh, if you follow farming, especially big ag uh, these days, and even some smaller ag, no-till is one of the biggest uh, rages out there right now. Now, there's nothing wrong with no-till. Uh, no-till is one of the tools that we have in our toolbox uh, when we're farming but don't overutilize it. No-till has its place, but it needs to be incorporated with a bunch of other tools to work. Biology is what you want in your soil. Now, if you look at the photo on the left-hand side of the screen, the two containers with soil, you will see two, two different types of soil. At least it looks that way. Uh, the soil on uh, my left is dark, it's crumbly, and it just looks pretty decent. The soil on the right, uh, it's platy. You can see uh, the literal layers of soil that have been compressed and compacted together. You don't want the soil on the right. You want the soil on the left. You want it to have a granular structure, cottage cheese look to it. Uh, and usually, you know, the soil on the right it's platy because it's been compressed. It's been compacted. Usually it's been tilled. Uh, and this happens generally when we get a little overexcited in the spring. Uh, it's been cold winter uh, for X amount of months, some, for some people longer than others. And we're all excited to get out there and start growing crops. So it's like the first sunny day. We ru rush out to our fields. We grab the tractor, the tiller, whatever, and we start tilling and whatnot. Maybe we don't get stuck, maybe we do. Um, but okay, so the field's all been tilled up and it's ready for planting. Well, maybe. 
Uh, you may have gotten it ready for planting today, but you have actually done some long-term detrimental effects uh, to your soil uh, in the long term uh, by having it compressed. Now, when I started out here, I said that I tried to limit tillage as much as possible. Now, if you notice at the other picture, uh, the tilled portion of that field, you have water evaporation happening because there's nothing uh, covering the soil uh, to keep the water in place, uh, and you have CO2 that's evaporating. However, in soil that is active, you've got living roots in the soil, it's covered uh, by that crimped um, cover crop growing in between uh, what is probably soybeans in that other uh, photo. Um, you have CO2 that is being captured, held, and returned to the soil, and you also have your water that is being captured and held, not just by the plants, but also underneath that cover crop uh, the water is being held, and water is one of the key things that helps to activate your soil microbial activity in the soil. All right. I told you you were livestock farmers, and this is what you're farming. This is your livestock. So most, most of these critters uh, you cannot see with the naked eye. Uh, you have to use a very powerful microscope uh, to see them, but some, like earthworms uh, and some other uh, critters, uh, you can definitely see uh, if you go out uh, into your fields and dig around. Now, all these, all these little critters, uh, they are the ones that really help to uh, restore your soil uh, if it has become compacted or damaged sometime in the past. So I have a, a bit of homework for you. When you go home, I want you to go ahead and get a shovel, get a trowel, and go out into whatever area of your field or, or yard uh, that you're planning on growing a garden in this next year. And I want you to dig a little hole and look at your soil. See what it looks like. Does it look like cottage cheese? Does it look platy and compacted? Uh, can you see earthworms in there? Uh, does it look like it's alive and healthy? Okay, so I basically covered this slide already. Okay, so with that compacted uh, soil that we saw uh, in the previous slide, when soil gets compacted like that, oxygen cannot penetrate, water cannot penetrate, at least not very far. Uh, and if your CO2 buildup happens in the soil and there's not some recycling that's happening there, your decomposition stops. Now, remember a few moments ago we were talking about soil organic matter your plant matter that gets left on top of your soil, whether that's with a cover crop, whether that's just crop excess material that you left out there, you know, some bad lettuce leaves or whatnot, uh, the soil organics, the soil organisms will begin to draw those things down into the soil and break them up and 
utilize uh, the minerals uh, that are in uh, this organic matter that's being brought into the soil. Uh, however, if the CO2 buildup gets too high, your decomposition stops. And instead of decomposition, you have fermentation. Kombucha is not really what your soil needs. The fermentation uh, will sterilize your soil, and it can also start to produce methane gas. So how do you prevent this? You want to build your soil. Now, I realize you know, we're from all across the country. Uh, some of us in some of our property, you know, it's probably some lower, lower soil um, in elevation. You know, maybe there's a dip in your field. Water tends to collect there. And so your soil becomes soggy, you know, uh, fermentation begins to happen. You know, so if it's, a, if it's a very small area, you know, go ahead, bring in some dirt, uh, fill it up, uh, and take care, of, take care of that issue that way. Um, but generally speaking, you want to be able to build your soil to take care of things. Now, if you go outside and you study nature, you go, you take walks through a field, you take walks through a forest, uh, you will notice that nature is always evolving. There's always something, some change is happening out there, but it never happens overnight. It takes its time. That is the exact same thing that's going to happen with your farm, your garden. It's going to take time. If damage has happened, it took time for that damage to happen. It's going to take time uh, for that damage to be repaired. So add biology to your soil. You know, cover crops, green manure, compost, uh, crop rotation, uh, biomimicry again. And definitely, when it's wet, don't go out there and try to work your soil. An easy way to figure out if your soil is too wet to work is to go out there, take your trusty shovel with you, and dig a small hole. If the soil, a couple inches down, if you can squeeze it and it makes a ball, uh, or if you squeeze it in your fist and it's holding a, holding a shape of your fist or whatnot, uh, it's too wet. If it's too clay, not clay, if it's, too, if it's similar to clay in that it forms a shape or whatnot, when you press it together, don't bother working it. Fill in the hole, go back inside, and plan, plan your crop rotation. Uh, but if, if when you grab uh, the soil bits and pieces uh, that you've dug up, and if you're able to crumble them in your hand, uh, and it, it kind of crumbles apart as it falls through your hand, then the soil's dry enough and you can start uh, to work it uh, probably pretty safely. Okay, so what is a hard pan? A hard pan is something that is created by man, uh, and this generally happens when you go out there and you till and you till and you till and you till at a certain depth. Now, most of our tillers, uh, they maybe go down 5 inches, 10 inches, etc., but at a certain level, they stop going down. And so if you continue tilling at that level... Uh, everything on top, quote-unquote, is going to look nice and fluffy and airy and healthy. Not really, but it's going to look that way, and it's going to be easy to dig into and plant your potatoes and whatnot. Uh, but everything underneath that set tillage space is going to be hard as a rock. Now, the way you avoid this is you limit your tilling and your plowing, especially when this is wet. Now, as I said before, tillage of any kind is detrimental to your soil 
especially your soil organic matter as it gets eaten faster by your organisms. So if you have a hard pan uh, in your field, the hard pan's not the problem. The wet soil's not your problem. Uh, the weeds that are coming up because your soil is too wet to support your actual crops, they're not the problem either. They're telling you what the problem is. Uh, these are all your symptoms. Now, there's obviously a million different things that can be done to address this issue, uh, and I'm not going to be able to cover all of them. Uh, but one, one possible solution uh, is the calcium to magnesium ratio in your soil. Uh, if this is off, uh, then this could be the actual problem. So what you want, and you'll be able to figure this out uh, with a soil test, is you want your magnesium to be about 15% and your calcium to be about 75%. Now the reason for this is calcium, it'll group together the soil clays into aggregates. It's clumping it together, um, and that means that there's going to be more pore space in between uh, the soil. Better aeration, the roots are going to be able to develop better, and penetrate farther and deeper into your soil. Now, the magnesium causes dense, tight soil, which will decrease the microbial activity as well as root growth. So you need that balance there uh, in between those two different nutrients. Uh, another reason, another possible reason for uh, hard pans uh, is excess salt. Now, uh, if you're using Commercial fertilizers, there's nothing wrong with using them, but if you use them in excess, their main ingredient is salt. And so if you just add way more uh, fertilizers uh, than you actually need in your soil, that salt buildup will build up very quickly uh, and it can have a detrimental effect to your soil structure, especially in fine or medium textured soils. All right, so soil organic matter. All right, so it's the biology that builds the aggregates in your soil. If you don't have biology, if you don't have life in your soil, no matter how much calcium or magnesium you put in your soil, nothing's going to change. <coughs> so soil organic matter, uh, this is the part of the soil that contains plant and animal tissue at various stages of decomposition. Now, most soils have three to six percent organic matter. In Florida, sorry folks, you're usually about one to three. And that's generally based on the fact that uh, Florida soil is more sandy than other parts of the country. Uh, but you can build up uh, your soil organic matter whether you have lots of sand, lots of clay, it doesn't matter, it's all uh, changeable. Now, I told you soil organic matter is very important and one of the biggest reasons it's important, uh, it's not going to let me do it, uh, is where it says on the slide, 1% of organic matter per acre can hold up to 16,000 gallons of water. That's 1%. Now imagine if you have 10% organic matter. That's a lot of water being held in your soil. And this is something that you definitely want to keep an eye on and you definitely want to have. Uh, for us up in Tennessee, uh, we had a very dry end of summer and a very dry fall. Uh, several months where we had not a drop of rain. 
Now me, I'm usually on the spectrum where I'm glad if it doesn't rain. I've got a creek, I can irrigate, so I prefer that. Uh, but when you're having to run that pump uh, almost 24-7 to try to get the dirt wet enough, soft enough to be able to plant your strawberries, eh, it stops being quite so fun. Uh, so the more you can build up your soil uh, with organic matter, the more water you can capture. And so when weather events change and you get droughts and whatnot, it doesn't affect you as much. If you have a ton of rain, if you have a bunch of flooding in your area, the flooding will not affect you as much because the soil is able to capture and hold the water. It's not just going to sit on top of the soil or run off, fill up your creeks, which will then overflow. So how do you increase your soil organic matter? Cover crops, compost. You need to feed the soil and you need to keep the soil armored. I'll be covering that in just a little bit. All right, so breaking down um, soil organic matter, uh, this is the source of power uh, without which the plant uh, food elements cannot be changed to usable forms. Uh, William Albrecht, he's a soil scientist that lived back uh, in the 1900s. Uh, he did extensive uh, soil testing, uh, soil research, um, and he has a number of different books uh, that are written out there uh, covering different uh, topics regarding soil health. Uh, so if you don't already, I would highly recommend that uh, you include his, his research uh, into your library. So you have uh, plant residue and living microbial biomass. That's one of your layers of soil organic uh, matter. You have active soil matter. It also is referred to as detritus. And your stable organic matter is often referred to as hummus. Or, sorry, humus. So your humus... <laughs> yes, you don't want to be adding chickpeas to your soil. Um, your humus is generally that darker layer on top of the soil. Um, if you dig down just a, an inch, maybe a half inch, maybe even a little bit farther, depending on where you are, uh, you're going to see that it looks really healthy, really dark. And then right underneath that, you have the rest of your, your soil that's a little bit farther down that maybe is a slightly lighter color. Um, and so uh, that humus is the final aspect of soil organic matter, and that's what we want to continue to work at building and feeding. So there's three stages of benefits for stable organic matter. Excuse me. You got the physical, the chemical, and the biological. So the physical. Uh, this is the stuff that we can see uh, the easiest with the naked eye. Uh, it enhances uh, the aggregate stability. Uh, that's the clumping together of your soil uh, particles together. So that is improving the water infiltration uh, and the soil aeration because your soil is now cottage cheese looking like and you have different pores that are going through the soil allowing water to come in, allowing air to come in, and it's reducing the runoff. If you have platy soil, there's no good way for the water to infiltrate your soil and so it's just going to start ponding on top of the soil or if there's enough of it it's going to start running away and taking your soil uh, with it which is not what you want as i stated before it improves your water holding capacity every one percent of organic matter now 
as I said earlier, with the increase or addition of organic matter, this is something that takes time. You can't just go to Walmart or Lowe's and get some straw bales and plant matter, compost and whatnot, and add it to your soil and say, okay, now I've increased my soil organic matter to 20%. No. Um, that additions of that will definitely help your soil. So I'm not saying to not do that. But don't expect it to happen overnight. Continual process, steady continual process is what you want here. Soil organic matter, all those different particles of compost, of straw, of plant matter, uh, animal debris uh, that are being incorporated into your soil, uh, it's not soil itself. Uh, it's going to become soil over time, and so this is helping to reduce the stickiness uh, of clay soils. We've all gone out when it's too wet. We have to go harvest something out in our fields or our gardens, and we go walking out there, and after a few feet, uh, we look down at our feet and we've got 12 inches of clay and dirt and everything stuck around our boots and we can't move. Well, that addition of soil organic matter helps to reduce that. Uh, it reduces surface crusting and it helps with seedbed uh, preparation. Now, uh, what this means here is, you know, especially if you've gone out and you've worked your soil and you're getting ready to direct seed uh, some type of plant or some type of seed, uh, something like salad mix, arugula, or whatnot. You can go ahead and prepare it, plant it, but then if it rains, uh, the soil on top will get a little compacted and it'll form a crust. Uh, if there's not enough organic matter in that crust, it can actually prevent your seeds from pushing through the crust because it's so hard, those little seedlings uh, can't push up through it. So it just helps to soften the soil, if you will. All right, so on the chemical front, soil organic matter helps to increase your soil's cation exchange capacity, CEC. Now, that's a mouthful of words there, and basically all it means is it's the soil's ability to hold on and supply essential nutrients uh, to your plants. These essential nutrients uh, could be calcium, magnesium, potassium, uh, etc. Now, it improves the soil's ability to resist pH change, uh, and this is also known as its buffering capacity. Um, obviously, certain types of plants need a, a different type of pH than others, but we don't want the pH just to fluctuate across the entire spectrum. And it accelerates the decomposition of soil minerals over time. Now, this is very important because you can have as much nitrogen, potassium, calcium, whatever, in the soil, but if it's not decomposed and in a form that your plants can accept and use, it does your plants no good. It just sits there uh, until it's either leached uh, by too much rain or, at what, or until such a time that uh, you have the microbial activity to change those nutrients into the correct uh, form. All right, so it also helps to enhance the soil microbial uh, biodiversity and the activity which can help suppress disease uh, and pests in your soil. Oh, okay, good. Just took a minute to load. All right, so I told you that I was going to show you what it looks like uh, for a suit, a suit, for a root to be 
putting uh, carbon uh, into the soil, to be putting life into the soil. Uh, and so uh, this little clip uh, is going to do that. So I'm a visual learner, uh, and being able to see what is actually happening in the soil uh, to me was amazing. You know, you always hear that uh, sunlight is important. Photosynthesis is important for uh, your crops. They need that sunlight. They gather it, uh, and then they store it uh, in their bodies uh, and in uh, their roots. Uh, But now we have the capacity to actually be able to see what that looks like. Okay, so cation exchange capacity. By the way, what time am I supposed to end? Oh, I have five minutes. Okay, I am going to reverse some things here. All right, so I am actually not going to continue right now. I'm going to start up again after the break uh, because this is going to take a little bit of uh, explaining uh, to do here. So if you have any questions uh, over this first uh, first uh, set here, uh, I'll take them now. Mm-hmm. When I was talking about uh, synthetic fertilizers, I'm talking like if you go to the store and you get like a triple ten, triple twenty, uh, triple nineteen, uh, ten five ten, something like something along those lines. Um, you can you can look at the ingredients on the bags and whatnot. Um, and a lot of times, if it's if it's a synthetic type of fertilizer, then yes, it's adding the, the salt to the it or the salt is one of the main ingredients uh, for the fertilizer. Now, there are other types of fertilizers that are, um, shall we say, more, more natural or more organic. Uh, and those, they may say the same numbers, you know, uh, 555, 10, 10, 10, whatever. Um, but their material that they're made of uh, is going to be different than, than your synthetic types. And those won't have the salt in them. Yes? I was wondering where the question was in there. Um, yeah, so basically the reason I'm saying to back off on the amount of tillage is, yes, you are correct. You know, if you go outside right now and, you know, you want to plant your garden, uh, you've got a lot of, you know, the soil might be a little hard uh, to, to penetrate, you know, to plant your, plant your crops. Uh, it might... Um, you know, you might have a lot of weeds or plant matter on top of the soil that you want to bury uh, to begin with. Um, but as we're going to see in the, in the next uh, session, you don't have to go ahead and, and help nature uh, out in that process. Um, while, it, while it's true that tillage can, quote-unquote, aerate the soil, it seems like it's nice and fluffy after we've tilled, um, as soon as rain hits that soil, all that tillage and whatnot, there is no structure to that soil anymore. So it's like a pancake. Rain hits it, and it gets flattened. If you drive over it with a tractor or your tiller, it gets flattened. And in the act of flattening it, it becomes platy, like what we just saw in, in one of those first slides. And that removes the ability uh, for air to come in, water to come in, 
uh, as well as your roots to be able to penetrate uh, as they should. So that's why I'm saying back off on the tillage. Um, tillage is another tool that we have, you know, and there are definitely times where you need to till. You know, maybe the weeds get too bad, stuff got away from you, go ahead and till, uh, but do it judiciously. A uh, beautiful chemical called Roundup. <laughs> no, so like I've said, uh, use tillage as needed. You know, definitely, you know, when I go out to my fields uh, and I have uh, a cover crop residue uh, out there, uh, I, can, I can do a number of different things uh, on my farm to till or to not till. Uh, but, it, you know, if you're just starting out, go ahead, bring a tractor in, get a tiller, till it, work the soil, so that way you can start planting. Uh, and then at, after you've done your initial step, at that point you can decide, okay, do I want to do permanent raised beds? Do I want to, you know, do a more conventional approach where I grow my crops? Maybe I seed my walkways uh, with a type of cover crop to help keep them protected and then excuse me, then go ahead and till everything and prepare for the next season. Uh, so at that point, you know, it's, it's really up to you. But like I keep saying, tillage is a tool. Just don't overutilize it. So. I mean, yeah, you can, you can add sand because sand, if you look at it under a microscope, its granular structure is much larger than clay. And so it, it, if you work it in, it can... It can help with, with water infiltration and, and stuff not sticking together, but you would need a ton of sand uh, to be able to affect that change. And it's just not, it's not practical and most of the time it's not even uh, financially uh, viable. So keep doing that. <laughs> like I told you at the beginning of the presentation, it took years and years for your soil to become like that. It's not going to change overnight. My soil isn't even as good as I need it to be, want it to be. Um, but if every possible chance you get, you're adding compost, you're cover cropping, you're adding, you know, plant residues uh, to your soil. You don't even have to till them in. Just cover the soil. The soil microorganisms will work their way up through the soil and they will grab that material and they'll start dragging it down into the soil. And that's going to what, that is going to start changing your soil profile and structure, but it's going to take time, you know? So generally speaking, you know, what I, what I recommend is start with a, a small area and that's, that's where you're throwing all of your action at. And then once you start building up the soil in that one area, then start increasing it or do it in a different area that's also small and whatnot. Uh, because, yeah, if you try to change it all at once, it's going to be heartbreaking. Oh, yes, I, I have a beautiful farm in Italy. And, and <laughs> no. Okay. Um, okay, so the question was, uh, this gentleman lives out in the Pacific Northwest, and he said that he has a lot of sawdust, and he's wanting to know how to uh, decompose it, you know, how to, how to get it to compost and whatnot. What I would say is just go ahead and if you already have a compost pile, go ahead and add it to your compost pile. Compost piles, they have green matter and they have brown matter. So 
adding your sawdust uh, to the compost pile is going to be a type of brown matter, if you will. I wouldn't add tons of it, uh, but I would just do it in layers, mix it up, uh, and slowly let it be decomposed and composted that way. I'm sure there might be. I'm not sure what that would be. Um, but something that you could do, there's, there's two things. Uh, one, if you go ahead, and I'll talk about this more uh, a little later on, uh, but you, if, if you go ahead and you get some good soil and you add it to your compost pile, that soil is already going to have some of those uh, organisms that we saw earlier. If you go ahead and add, I mean, depending on the size of your compost pile, but let's just say a, a cup of molasses you know, to the pile, mix it up, that molasses is going to be feeding your soil organisms. It's going to activate them. It's going to give them, it's going to be like a little kid. You feed him candy, he's going to start running all over this place. The same thing is true for your soil organisms. It's going to activate them. They're really going to go gung-ho, and they're going to start eating whatever you have in your compost pile. So that would be, that would be one thing I would do. Another thing you could do uh, is just go ahead and get, uh, get a handful of like triple 19, triple 10, toss it in, mix it in uh, to your compost, uh, and that will also help to activate uh, the critters and minerals in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you have to have that blend of the carbon and the nitrogen. Um, you can. Yeah. Yeah, you could. Okay, let me, I will actually answer your question in the next, uh, in the next hour, because I do have a section uh, covering uh, cover crops, and uh, I'll be sure to, to take care of that. Manby, do you have a question? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't see why you, why you can't add it to your compost pile. Uh, at home, I mean, we basically add anything organic like to our compost pile. Your main thing that you want with your compost is to have total and complete decomposition. You know, and that's going to be coming from you know, your, your organisms in the compost pile, breaking it down, the heat uh, from the compost pile. So, yeah, that, I don't, there's, there's no reason why you can't uh, add it to it. I would say at that point, it's a personal preference. Um, for me, personally, I do it. You know, I just, I add everything to the compost pile, eggshells, rotten food, everything, mix it all up, uh, and, and then just keep on going. Um, I personally have not seen, you know, any problems coming from using that compost. Um, so, yeah, from my experience, that's what I've got. We used up all the, all the intervening time. Uh, actually, let me. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna cut off questions right now, because um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna take a break to get a drink of water. Um, but yeah, hold your questions until the end of the next uh, presentation, and I will. Uh, I'll answer them then. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.